Exodus 13. So, the, this, this chapter is broken up, interestingly. Um, he gives two symbols, and he actually introduces the second symbol in the first verse, and then he talks about the first symbol, and then he fleshes out the second symbol. So, the, the ordering is a little bit off in, when you're reading. It's confusing, but there's clearly two symbols here that he's talking about. Um, and he starts off, I'm just going to skip the, inter the first verse there, I'm, I'll, I'll come right back to it. So the, the first full symbol, or I guess you could call it the second one, and then he, I don't know, the order of, the order is uh, weird. But he says, uh, remember the day that you came out of Egypt. Uh, and, and he repeats many times in here, um, that you, it, this month, the month of Abib, you are, uh, you are leaving, uh, don't, don't put any leaven in your, in your bread. Um, for seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is not to be eaten. Nothing leavened must be found in your houses. No yeast. Uh, let this serve as a sign for you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Um, and so this is a repeat of a lot of the last chapter of the, um, the rules around what should and shouldn't be done with yeast on that first week, that week that, that starts on the day where they left Egypt. So it goes through that for quite a bit. And, and I think it's interesting that this is, in this one, he talks right, right there at the end, he says, this is a symbol, this is a sign for you. Um, and so this is, a, this is gonna be a pattern that repeats quite a bit. It actually, we've seen it before, it's going to keep on repeating. Let it be a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead or a symbol on your forehead. Um, and then let your law be in my mouth. And right here, he's actually talking about food. He's talking about bread. And may it be in my mouth. And so you, there's two things that happen in your mouth. Um, the one is when you put things in your mouth to eat them. The other thing is when you use your mouth to say words. So things go in and in your mouth and out of your mouth. May the law of the Lord be in your mouth. Um, and, and so he's talking about eating food, but the thing that comes out is the law of the Lord because it's on your heart, which is, um, this is, this is what Jesus was talking about. Um, when he says, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes a person unclean. It's what comes out of a, out of a man. And he's saying this, he's saying this, um, the law of the Lord, the truth, um, what is right and just should be coming out of your mouth. So, um, that's the first symbol. The second symbol uh, starts in verse 1 here. Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both men and animals. It is mine. And then, uh, to go to verse 11, he continues that thought. Uh, when the Lord brings you out of the land of the Canaanites, brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives you the land, you are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. Um, you are to redeem every firstborn of donkey, uh, of a donkey with a flock animal, but um, the, uh, you must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock animal. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, which is an odd thing to say. And then he goes on to say, um, uh, why? He says, 
the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn man to the firstborn of livestock. That is why I sacrifice, um, to, and the reason why it's I, it's when your sons ask you. This is another one of those. When your children ask you this, which is odd because my children don't ask such deep questions. Um, but when they ask you this, this is what you can respond with. So, um, that is why I sacrifice to the Lord all of the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead. For the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. Um, so, so here, he, uh, God is saying every firstborn is mine, and so it either needs to be sacrificed or redeemed. And for some of them, you may choose to kill them instead of redeeming them. And redeeming is to pay for them. And so here he's he's basically showing as a very clear picture of Egypt um, that the sons of Israel, the 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 ones that were um, descendants of Abraham, the ones through the promise, this they're they're the sons. Those ones God redeemed, all of them. But there were some who died and some who chose, who were chosen to be redeemed. Um, and they were like the, the optional, they were by choice. There's, there's some by promise and by lineage, and there's some by choice and by, um, I mean, it's delegation, but it's by, um, it's, it's optional. And that those optionals would be the multitude of nations, the, the, the multitude from different nations that, that went along with Israel. They were the people that chose to fear God, and they went along with Israel on their way out. Uh, they weren't Israelites. They weren't. They weren't the chosen people. They weren't the sons. They were the animals. In this symbolism. So that's the two signs, and 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 it's the repeat of the sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead. And and it's. That, that symbolism repeated throughout all, all of Scripture, all the way into um, the into Revelation, is um, what is a sign on your hand? It's a reminder of what you're doing with your hands. It's the things you're doing, because this is a when you're, you know, when you are um, eating, when you are doing things with your hands. That's the reminder. This is a sign on your hands when you're eating food, when you're slaughtering an animal. Um, or paying for that animal, it's with your hands, and on your forehead. Um, it's your, it's it's right there between the eyes. It's it's where your eyes are. It's where you're looking. Um, in our modern culture, we would say that this is where your mind is, um, but they didn't have that. Like decisions were made in in the um, in the heart and gut, um, so that doesn't quite translate. I'd like it to because that's you know. It seems to fit really nicely in modern culture, but it, that's not how they would have thought of it. Yeah. Also, if you have something in your forehead, you can't see it yourself. You see it in all the people around you. And so it's, just, it's, a, it's more of a corporate symbol. Anyway, um, just observations. Oh, okay. So here, here we have a shift. And I find the shift interesting. And I spent way too much time on this, like, one verse. 
up until now, every action and, uh, and thing that God says doesn't use the word God. It says Yahweh spoke. Yahweh did. Yahweh, so when Yahweh brings you out of the land, when Moses said to the people, Yahweh says, uh, Yahweh spoke to Moses. Uh, Yahweh spoke to Moses up there. Yahweh uh, brought them out of Egypt. But right here, it actually shifts. And in this one verse, it uses the word Elohim twice, not the word Yahweh. And and no qualifiers on the word Elohim. It doesn't use, um, um, it doesn't use like Elohim, it doesn't say like God Almighty, which is the other name for Yahweh. It just says Elohim. And the word Elohim is spirit, powerful spiritual being. It is like it's, it's angel or cherubim, like it's, it's of that class of being. And so I find this verse way more confusing than it probably should be. When Pharaoh let the people go, Elohim did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For Elohim said, and Elohim is plural, um, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's just changing back to um, a more generic, um, but also referring to Yahweh, God. But it could also be referring to the divine council or a, an, an angel or a group of angels that, that were delegated to lead the people. Because that seems like an odd decision. And so, and, and later on, we're actually going to run into the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, um, as distinct from Yahweh, leading the people and doing things, uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, and so he led the people around toward the, the, the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation, or in battle array, which earlier said they had 600,000 troops, which never thought of them leaving as an army. I always thought of them leaving as refugees. So, uh, but it definitely, I mean, it's repeated earlier, they leave as troops. Let's see, where's that? Yeah. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 soldiers on foot, besides their families. So it's in uh, 1237. Uh, Moses also took the bones of Joseph uh, with, because uh, Joseph made them swear, you know, 400 years earlier, um, God will come and come to your aid, and you must take my bones with you out of this place. And later, um, if we go um, to Joshua 24, 32, uh, that's, they, they actually buried his bones in Joshua 24, 32. And they bury him in, um, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping that they would bury him with um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they don't. They actually bury him in a plot of land that Jacob purchased in Shechem. So that, uh, that purchasing of the land is in Genesis 50, 25, and then, um, then Genesis 33, sorry, the purchase of the land is in Genesis 33, 19. Genesis 50 is the very end of Genesis, and that's when Joseph tells them in Egypt, when you guys leave, take me with you. Take my bones with you. So, cool that they remembered. And I think even cooler that at some point down the road, they 
they viewed this land in Shechem as like descendant to um, to bury Joseph's bones because it's four hundred years later. You think that somebody would have just been like, you know, all this land's mine now because you know it's been it's been three hundred years and nobody's nobody's come to see it. So, but that's it. That's another thing altogether. Um, so they set out from Sukkoth and camped, and um, and Yahweh. So it's like we're back. It's not, um, it's not, it's not Elohim. It's Yahweh. So Yahweh went ahead of them as a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day, and a, uh, a pillar of fire at night, so that they could travel by day or night. The pillar. Um, by day, the pillar of fire by night, or sorry, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, uh, never left its place in front of the people. Okay, so I'm going to summarize that last bit again, and then I'm going to read something else. Um, the Lord went ahead of them, and he was a pillar of fire so that they could see at night and at day, and he never left, he never left them. <coughs> night will be no more, People will not need a lamplight or sunlight, because Yahweh will give them light. He will reign forever and ever. That's out of Revelation 22, 5. Like, those are real parallel. Um, which, I mean, if you look at the ordering, it would be that the symbolism in Revelation would be pulling from the light that Yahweh gave his people as a, a pillar of fire in the wilderness that it was as day to them I, I always imagined it being really dark and then a pillar um, but the difficulty of traveling at night isn't that you don't know what's way ahead of you it's that you don't know what's right in front of you and so this pillar would have been if, if it was so that they could travel it would have been bright enough that they could you know the whole encampment could see where they were walking and not, not injure themselves and their animals wouldn't injure themselves which means that it was a really bright pillar of fire uh, that gave them light. And that's awesome.